good seeing you this morning, Woods Edge. And uh, Pastor Jeff is supposed to be here today. Uh, he's been in Malta for the last several, uh, about a week and a half. And uh, they had a very fruitful ministry while they're in Malta. But he came back sick. And so uh, we made the call yesterday that you would get um, the lesser of the two sick people up here this morning. So, uh, so you can be praying for him, but he will be back here uh, next Sunday. And this morning as we gather together, we're all kind of waiting for preparation of Christmas. And I don't know how your Christmas preparation is going. Uh, usually Christmas preparation is a little hectic. It seems a, a little stressful. There seems to be a lot of tension. Um, ours began usually after the week after Thanksgiving. Many of you might have this tradition where uh, my wife sends me up to the attic to get all the things out of the attic to bring it down. And uh, my first thought when I get in the attic is, is, how did all this stuff fit in here? Like, where did it all come from? How did we accumulate so many things for Christmas? But we have a good time. We bring it down. We set it all up. And of course, the lights don't work. And so you have to go to CVS or your Walmart and buy more lights. And, and finally, you get it all set up. And then your wife says to you, we're missing something. I'm saying, no, we are not missing anything. She said, no, we're missing something. We're missing the baby Jesus that goes with this. I'm like, listen, we don't need baby Jesus this year. It'll be fine. Just... No baby Jesus. No, no, no. Get back up in the attic. So you go back up in the attic. You know the feeling, men. It's, uh, I like to call that uh, setting up for Christmas is my least favorite day of the year. Um, quickly and, uh, you know, right behind it is the day of taking everything down and trying to get it all back up into the attic. And then, of course, there's Christmas shopping. How many of you have been to the stores thankful for Amazon when it comes to Christmas time where you can just buy stuff and they'll send it to you, but every once in a while you still have to go to the mall, you still have to go to your retail shops to do your Christmas, and I hate that. Your feet get sore, there's people breathing on you, it's crowded, like it's just not, it's stressful. I thought Christmas was supposed to be a time of peace, but it seems anything but peaceful especially shopping. I don't know if we should do this or not, but to help our shopping experience, I think they should probably give a class on shopping etiquette. I don't know who would, who would uh, facilitate such a class or where they would have such a class, but it seems like a good idea. Now, if we can't do that, maybe we can all just abide by some simple rules when it comes to shopping experience during the holidays. Uh, a few rules that I made up for you this morning. Number one, if you're that person that is coming out of the mall or out of the store with your hands full of bags and you're walking to your car and as you get to your car and you put everything in your car and you're only merely doing a drop off, please let me know that. Because I've been stalking you for 10 minutes trying to get a parking spot. Like, let me know that. Just, just as a common courtesy. Hey, I, I, I'm going back in. You know, I'm going back in there. I'm just dropping off. Maybe that's the first rule, just common courtesy. Secondly, if you are the person who is coming out of the mall or out of the retail store and your hands are full of bags and you finally get to your car and you unload it in the car, can we please abide by the 15-second rule? Which is you have 15 seconds to get in your car and get out of the parking spot because there's a line of people waiting for that spot. This isn't the time to check your text messages or your email or your Facebook and let everybody know all the bargains you got. It's time to get out of the parking space, please. Right? It'll bring a little peace. Third rule, if you are the person 
that expects me to go in reverse because you missed a parking spot. It ain't going to happen. Like I know, we're supposed to be loving Christ followers, but when it comes to Christmas and parking spaces, if you miss the spot, sorry, you need to move along. And, you know, we, we try to be nice about it. You know, they throw it in reverse, and I roll down my window. I'm sorry. It doesn't go in reverse. You're going to have to move along. You're going to have to move along. Maybe the last one. Oh, number four. I got another one. For all those retail stores out there, if you have 25 checkout lanes, please use all 25. Like how many times do you go to Target and there's 25 checkout lanes and we only have three in operation? And again, you try to be nice about it. You don't want to be in their face, let them know that you're upset, but you kind of do show that. <sighs> Huffing, looking at your watch, you know, and there's 25 people in line. Manager comes, I'm sorry, we're over, we're understaffed. No, there's no, no excuses for being understaffed at Christmas time. And then I'll say this. Maybe we should have some basic requirements, rule number five, if you're going to use the self-checkout. Maybe one requirement is number one, you don't go to self-checkout with two shopping carts. None of us have time for that. Third, I mean, a, a, another, another requirement might be this. Another requirement, and, and I don't want to offend anybody in here, but maybe there should be an age requirement when it comes to using the self-checkout. Because I have been in the line with my father to use self-checkout. There should be a basic standard of, listen, you have to have enough technological skills to, to program your digital watch to use the checkout lane. I mean, my dad, I've been, I've been there with him, you know. He sits there and he's... Beep, you know, why is this thing making noise? Dad, it's working. No, it's not working. Beep, it's working, Dad. Hey, excuse me, it's making noise over here. And I'm like, Dad, it's supposed to make noise, you know. And then, you know, what's that noise? That's your cell phone, Dad, is ringing in your pocket. Huh? Oh, okay, hello, hello. You know, beep, beep, beep. Oh, I think I did that one twice. I get it. I don't even use a Seth Chalk outline. Those are some basic, you know, some basic rules that maybe we can follow to try to bring a little peace to Christmas. You know, what's funny, though, is after you do all the shopping, then you have to, for at least for my family, we have to travel all the way through the state of Texas to go see every in-law, every cousin, every uncle, every aunt, all the extended family, and the whole time you're driving, you're doing this. You know, trying to swat the kids. Hey, be quiet back there. Get along. Kids are like, There's, you know, they crossed my line. You know, by the time you get there, you need a chiropractor. I saw this last night. I was in Salado. Anybody been to Salado for the Christmas stroll? It's a beautiful time to go to Salado, Texas. But I, I, I bought this last night. It just reminded me of Christmas. And uh, it's an ornament. I think I took a picture of it here. It says, I'll be home for Christmas and in therapy by New Year's. <laughs> I was like, that is so me. That is so true. Why? Because as much as, as we did the Advent candle of saying that, that Jesus came to bring peace, many times at Christmas, it seems anything but peaceful. And so this morning, I want to talk about the missing peace. I want to talk about the missing peace. No matter if peace seems to be all around you, it seems so elusive to have peace within yourself. 
When we think of Christmas and when we think of Scripture and even the narrative of Scripture, one of the narratives of Scripture is that, is that Scripture seems so determined for us to understand, for us to get a hold of, of how God stepped into human history through the person of Jesus Christ to give us peace. To give us peace. I think the language has been so misunderstood that it's almost hard to understand that that of what kind of peace Jesus brings and what kind of peace Jesus wants us to, to, to get a hold of and what kind of peace that he brings into our life. And, but one thing is very clear, that somewhere along the way that, that we have, that humanity has, has lost its peace and fallen to pieces. Like we see that. And in the book of Isaiah... What we read in Isaiah chapter 9, and generations before Jesus ever came to this earth, Isaiah describes for us with such detail, with such beauty, it's, it's beautiful, it's poetic, and it has so much power in Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah writes to us about this coming Messiah. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And Prince of Peace. Isaiah layers a, a number of different names in this passage, and, and the fourth one that he gives us is this idea that when Jesus comes, he will be the Prince of Peace. He describes him as wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, but he says he will also be the prince that brings peace. He's the prince of peace. And for our purposes this morning, we're gonna focus on this idea of prince of peace. And though Isaiah places it forth, it, in the very next verse, he builds upon this imagery. He says in verse seven, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <laughs> you know, I read this passage and I think to myself, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you that your government will have no end and that your government of peace will have no end. But I have to question, when will it begin? When will it begin? If we're to be honest, we, we, we understand that this government of peace, that there will be no end, but we're wondering, will there ever be a beginning to it? Because we've been waiting for 2,000 years for peace among government to come. And it seems to me if there has been any phrase that has been profoundly misunderstood in scripture, it could be this one. Because we have this understanding that Jesus, that through government is going to, be is going to bring peace. But haven't we had enough? Haven't we had enough experience? Uh, 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 enough evaluation, enough of a, a social experiment to realize and to recognize that government will never bring peace. The peace that Jesus brings is not on a throne and it's not in the center of an empire or a center of a nation. The, G, the, the peace that Jesus brings is in the human heart. It's in the human heart. As Isaiah writes these words, I think it's easiest for, for us to go to a place where we say, well, you know, it, it's so idealistic. 
that there would be peace. It's so idealistic, and, and he just doesn't understand. I mean, Isaiah doesn't fully get this, but he connects here in Isaiah chapter six, uh, Isaiah chapter nine, he connects this peace with justice and righteousness because anytime there's peace that is within us, it will flow outside of us. Any peace that God brings to our heart will actually have an impact in the world around us. And so, and we look at this and we say, but we don't live in the context of peace. Think of the world today. I mean, think of the world today. Do, do we live in the context in which peace can prevail? Maybe Isaiah didn't understand of the context in which we live. I mean, all they had to deal with in those times were being uh, dominated over the Egyptians, by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Romans. You know? Whether it was in Isaiah's time, being dominated and conquered by the Babylonians, or Jesus' time, being dominated and controlled by the Romans, they did not live in the context in which peace would prevail. But what Isaiah tells us here in this passage is that Jesus stepped into human history to be the prince of shalom, the prince of peace. This idea of shalom can be so trivial sometimes. It can be used as a, as a simple greeting like, how are you? But shalom, prince, uh, 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 peace, shalom, this, this peace that Jesus brings it, it is the peace that, that goes beyond just a simple greeting. It's the peace that can, that can rest and reside in the human heart and in such a way that in its very essence, it's, it's a declarative statement. It's a declaration of peace be to you. Peace be to your home. And in its essence, it's about wholeness. It's about taking what's broken and making it whole again. I mean, even when Jesus did come 2,000 years ago, it was anything but peaceful. The story begins with, with Mary, who's been told by an angel that she is pregnant by the Spirit of God. <laughs> Scripture tells us she was troubled not a lot of peace there. Matthew chapter one, Joseph is visited by an angel and says, hey, the woman that you're set to marry is pregnant. Oh, but don't worry, it's been, she, she's impregnated by the spirit of God, okay? So, so as if that's supposed to make him feel better. He's troubled. I mean, we like to give benefit of the doubt, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure Joseph was thinking, I'm having a hard time finding the silver lining in this. He's probably thinking, I knew we should have gone to that love and respect conference. Right? The shepherds who were alerted of the coming of Christ says they were troubled. King Herod was so troubled, he heard that a new king is in town. But it's not just any king, it's the king of all kings. And he was so troubled that he set a decree out among the land that any infant two years or younger... Infant boys should be killed. He was troubled. And as you follow the path in the history of Jesus and his time on earth, it wasn't full of peace. The spiritual leaders set him as an enemy. The government didn't like him. All the way to the cross, where we find Jesus in such a violent way, being nailed to a cross for our sins, it's anything but peaceful. 
Because what we have to understand is that anytime the supernatural collides with the natural, there will be a disturbance. Uh, On the day that Jesus died, it tells us that the sky went dark, the earth shook, people came out of their graves. (laughs) But yet flowing from that cross of Christ was peace. It was peace. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he writes this. Colossians chapter 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that being Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in this moment, even at the cross, even at the manger, when things were full of tension and there was disturbance, what was flowing from the cross of Christ was peace. And it's not peace that will be set on any empire or nation, but be settled into the heart of humanity and into your heart today. And it's this peace that Jesus came to give. How does Jesus give this peace? What type of peace does he give? Well, first he gives peace in the way that he gives peace with God. He gives peace with God. You know, our soul never sits restful until we make peace with God. The way that God created us and what I know about the human soul, that it's written on each one of our hearts, that, that we, we, we have this, this desire, it's more than a desire, it's an actual need to, to be at peace with some deity. This is what all world religion says. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And maybe, just maybe, you'll have peace with the deity, with the higher being, with God. And our soul will never feel rest until we feel that peace. And what Jesus did, and when he came 2,000 years ago, when God stepped into human history in the person of Jesus Christ that ultimately went to the cross, he came to give us the gift of peace, to be peace between God and ourselves. And we all know this. We all know that we are looking for rest in our soul. That's why you're here today. Some of you came here today and and you don't know, you know, you think, I don't know why I came. A friend invited me. No, you know exactly why you're here. Because someone told you or maybe you heard that that the church is the place where you find peace. Not, Not because the church is the place of peace, but because of the message that we give is about peace, the peace of Christ. You you weren't fooled when you came in today. You didn't follow the cars and think you're going to the Cinemark. You didn't follow the cars and think you're going to the mall. You know why you were here. Because something in our heart becomes restful. Restless. But yet we're looking for rest. And the rest that we have defined is right here in the person of Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We rest in the promise of peace of the cross. Your soul rests today in a relationship with God because what was accomplished on your behalf and on my behalf, not by what we did, but purely on what was accomplished by the person of Jesus Christ. 
There will never be rest for your soul until you have the encounter, until your natural collides with the supernatural and you are given the peace of Jesus Christ. And as scripture tells us, there's only one person who can give this peace. For there's only one name in which we shall be saved, but it's the name of Jesus. So when Christ came to, to, to bring his peace, to be the Prince of Peace, he says, I've come to give peace with God. Secondly, he came to give peace with others. Anytime there's peace that resides in our heart because of the peace that he gives us with God, this peace becomes an overflow so that we can be at peace with others. Scripture in the New Testament tells us as much. In the New Testament, all through the New Testament, Colossians chapter three, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The only way we're able to live in peace with others is when we have the peace of Christ that reigns in us. Now, some of you say, well, Denny, you don't understand the people I work with. (laughs) You don't understand what I have to put up with work. You don't understand what my neighbor's like. You want me to be peaceful? You, you don't understand what my marriage is like this morning. I mean, I feel like we're, we're, we're arguing all the time. It's World War III every morning when we wake up. And yet you're saying that, that, that Christ is the, the Prince of Shalom that brings priest, uh, peace not only to my, uh, to, between me and God, but also peace in my relationships? Yes. Yes, he does when we begin to recognize and realize the type of extravagant love God had for us. And while we were yet enemies, he loved us and reconciled us. He says, now therefore, let that peace reside in you into the relationships with others. It's okay, you can go to that Christmas dinner with family that's completely out of whack. Because the peace that resides in you, it allows you to be an extension of God's grace in the lives of others. Oh, how many times I've had to ask for that in my own marriage. Please, be an extension of God's grace. And when we set our minds and when we set our hearts and we set our posture in such a way that we become an extension of God's grace and God's love towards others, then we actually can begin to experience peace with others. We can experience this peace. And then lastly, I would say that the peace that Christ came to give is peace within ourselves. How many of you just feel that within you, even today, it's so unsettled? I love what Jesus says in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. My peace I give you. He goes on to say, let your hearts not be troubled, nor be afraid. How many times do we let our hearts not experience the restfulness of peace because they're so troubled and they're so afraid? How many times do we worry about things? I mean, think about the amount of time that you spend worrying if you could just reclaim that. <laughs> and the fear 
how much we spend being fearful. But, but Jesus says that, that you can have this. May He says, peace I leave with you, he told his disciples. Peace I leave with you. But he says, my peace I give you. See, you're trying to be the coordinator of peace in your life. You're trying to take all the worries and control it. He says, no, 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 I'm the prince of peace. I'm the prince of shalom. And so let me be the peace. Let me worry about the trouble. Let me worry about the fear. And then some of you today, your hearts are so, so unrestful because as we worshiped, you just thought of your past, you thought of your brokenness, you thought, you thought of all your depravity. And in a moment as we take of the cup and take of the bread, the thoughts that's going through your head right now is how am I worthy enough to take of the cup and to take of the bread? Oh, we lean into the promises of God. We lean into the promises of Scripture that says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and we let that rest into our hearts and into our minds and bring peace with our past. Bring peace with our past. It's the Apostle Paul that said in 2 Thessalonians, he said, may the peace of God reign in your hearts in all things and in all times. Those who are in Christ, we can experience the peace. It's not a peace that we earn. It's not a peace that we buy. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that some of the best gifts you've ever been given have no monetary value at all? Some of the best gifts that you've ever received, you can't purchase. You can't trade for them. You can't exchange it. But they're the gifts that were like custom-made I have this one gift that my son gave me, and you're going to think, what in the world is that? That's what I said when I opened it. But he made this for me. I think it was two years ago, and I, I keep it on, uh, in my office. And um, it was a custom-made gift by an eight-year-old, nine-year-old. And uh, I don't know if you could tell, my, my son and I, we, we love to hunt. And, um, and so somehow he took these little things, and he made, uh, he made antlers and then he put it on this piece of wood, and he said, that's like a trophy that you can put, you know, like an antler trophy thing. And then he carved my initials in it. It's pretty cool. And I was like, oh, son, thank you so much. And I mean, you, know, you received that from my son. You're going to throw it away. I get it. But when I receive that from my son, I say, that is so cool. I, I, I make good use of it. I actually use it sometimes for like a little pin holder. You know, I figured out a way to use it. Can't buy this. You may not think it's great. But to me, it was just the fact that he made it for me. And some of the greatest gifts we ever receive are always custom made. And it's something that you can't buy. And the peace of Christ is something that you can never buy. But once you receive it through faith, you don't have to worry about having, about having a receipt to exchange it. Because when it resides, it brings the peace that we've all so long to have. It gives us the opportunity to have peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves. And for this Christmas season, I hope and I pray that for our church family, we will rest. We will rest in the peace of Christ. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for today. We thank you that you stepped into human history to bring us peace. 
that, Father, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and it brought so much tension, the end result that was flowing from the cross was an opportunity for each one of us to be at peace with you, to be at peace with others, and to find peace within myself. And Lord, I pray that in all the hustle and bustle of Christmas, all the shopping, all the cooking, all the preparations for family and friends, and all the hecticness, Lord, that our hearts will find rest and we will find peace. And this morning as we take of the cup and we take of the bread and we come to the Lord's table, let it be a reminder to us this morning that Jesus accomplished what we could never accomplish. Through his sacrifice on the cross, through the blood that was spilt on our behalf, he comes and he gives us peace. And this morning we rest in that peace as we take of communion together.